How do you know your buyer's agent is presenting you the best deals? Hi, I'm Sam Powell. And I'm Jared Krause, and we are the hosts of the Property Powers Australia podcast. And in this episode, we're discussing the importance of checking your property that is presented to you from a buyer's agent is actually within your buying criteria before moving forwards. Yes, then we go in and touch on the four due diligence checks to go through after being presented a property from your buyer's agent. Yeah, we also discuss why you should work with only the best buyer's agents that actually provide value, not based on how much time they spend working, but value. And I share a, a story around perceived value, which is pretty valuable and important. Yeah, then we, we jump into um, a few key conversations around why value adds are not the key thing you should be looking for when investing in a property for capital growth. Yeah, we also touch on um, what are some of the things that hold people back emotionally as a first-time buyer from investing in a great property that is actually presented by a buyer's agent um, and some of the mindset tricks that people play on themselves um, that can keep them out of the market for a longer period of time and miss deals. Now, before we get stuck in this podcast episode, I want to let you know this is not the only way that we do help people for free. We have our How to Maximize Your Borrowing Capacity mini course. Head to propertypowers.au forward slash resources to get that. And uh, yeah, it helps people buy more superior assets to achieve a better ROI because they're able to maximize their borrowing capacity through this course. So check it out. Let's dive in. See you on the inside. Welcome to Property Pals, the podcast where we share everything around how to build a property portfolio from researching areas, financing, structuring, buying, selling, and reinvesting to live a life of financial independence. As a disclaimer, any information shared by myself, Jared, Sam, and the Property Pals team is strictly general and should not be taken as constituting professional advice. You should consider seeking independent legal financial and taxation advice from a qualified professional. Yes, so if I just went to a buyer's agent, Sam, and uh, looked at a, they've sent me a couple of properties to look at that they think are good investments, how do I know they're good investments? Like, what are the, that's what I want to talk about today is like, I mean, I've, I mean, I've learned a lot from you, so I know there's certain things, I know a few certain things that I could be checking, but I want to talk about like a big bunch of things that people that are listening can check to make sure that their property is decent uh, or the one they're looking at purchasing is the right one based on how they should do their own due diligence once a buyer's agent presents a property to them. So like, where would you start? I know that you're a buyer's agent um, and you've worked for large like buyer's, buyer's agent firms and taught many buyer's agent teams and stuff. So you're the man for the job. <laughs> I want to grill you on this. On well, this yeah, what would I do? Um, <laughs> yeah, great question. So let's jump in. Um, the first thing you do is just check that what the information they're telling you is, is accurate. Um, so... It's your money at the end of the day, so the the buck stops with you. Mm-hmm. Um, with buyers agents, you've got to understand that the disclaimers in their contracts um, are basically this is your decision. Yes, we're doing the best we can to uh, amplify your your investment returns or your your property purchase if you're an occupier. Uh, but it's just it's like a coaching sort of um, fee that you're paying mm-hmm. and. In, in that sense, that there's good, like everything. There's, there's good, there's bad, there's great. 
I, I don't say the S word. Uh, <laughs> um, but this is so like we, we're going to talk about now, like what are the things you can check um, yourselves. But this is what we do as well, right? When people come and get jump onto our coaching and we help them go through the whole process of like where they're at to owning a property and then having a strategy to build their whole portfolio out with multiple properties, depending on what type. But we can, we actually do review the businesses, also the properties, sorry, that these buyers agents present to you um, to yeah. make sure you're not, you know, having to do it yourself. We do this for free at the moment. Yeah, well, we, you do it because um, I just know that the, Often, there's ones that get presented that aren't you know, the best properties there that, that fit your your goals, right? So yeah, it's obviously their their best interest to do the best job possible. Um, but there's also the commercial aspect, of the business where sometimes the shit properties get put through. Yeah, you know, and and a lot of people don't know whether they they're good or or bad or shit because they don't do it every single day. So that's absolutely that we're just that extra layer of protection, and it's um. You know, giving you that confidence to go back and, and ask certain questions, and um, it's it's really key because this this asset that you end up buying, this first asset, um, that's that that's for life. That's your foundational asset. Yeah, for, yeah. You know, ideally six to ten years as a minimum. Um, mm-hmm. So you want to get it right. Yeah, and so I guess the first thing that you kind of mentioned there that I think we should expand before we going off like a bit of a judicial checklist is that when they do present a property is make sure it's within your buying criteria and is going to help you set you up for your property goals as a foundational property. If it's, if it's your foundational property, if it's something like, you know, further down the line, third or fourth property, make sure it's still going to help you set yourself up for your strategy moving forwards. So I guess that's the first thing they should check is making sure it's the property that meets their criteria. Yep. So what you should be doing in, in the very first stage with your buyer's agent is sitting down and having a strategy session around what it is you're targeting to buy. Whether you're an occupier or an investor, you've got to select key criteria. And so you're writing them down and when these proposals are being presented to you, you need to go back and check them off. You know, making sure that, all right, cool, you're not getting caught up in a savvy sales campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, does this fit into your brief that you outlined at the start? So that's obviously step one, making sure that it does. Step two is going in and uh, actually looking at the figures. So um, they'll provide you with evidence around what they think it's worth, what they think it could rent for, and going in and doing your own research into that. Like Obviously, you're not the trained eye. However, your opinion is still valid and it's your money at the end of the day. So uh, you know, empower people to, to go down and, and actually research it because – the, the rent, the rents are subjective uh, on the property, but uh, you want to put obviously there's the conservative approach, there's the inflated approach, and there's probably the the middle path. Mm-hmm. You know, depending on where you're at in the property cycle, sometimes the it, it might come across as inflated on certain parts, but that's because there's a lot of heat in the market. So in order to um, like your buyer's agent should understand that level of um, the heat mm-hmm. to basically accommodate the their their figures but um yeah that's always a, a step two is check them understand where the value rise sits because they'll put their um their appraisal figure forward called two million dollars you know it's your money so go back you might only see value up to 1.9 million dollars and that's completely fine mm. um it's just an opinion at the end of the day uh, but it's also your your buyer's agent's role is to secure that property for as up for as low as possible so yeah um 
these are the conversations that I have anyway. It's like, well, we see value up to $2 million in a multi-office scenario. Um, it can run up to this and, and above that. You know? But outside of $2 million, we can't see. You're overpaying at $2 million, and that's what I'm here to try and protect you from. So yeah. as an example, we bought a property last night, actually, and um, the, the team, we, we bought this two. We appraised it at $2.15 million. Um, the asking price was 1.65 plus. Oh, oh. Yeah, welcome to Sydney property market. Rubbish. <laughs> um, and the actual property recently sold, I think, two years ago for $1.83 million. So it's not really recent. Two years. Yeah, sold two years ago. So is that recent? I thought recent was like six months. Oh, well, for a house. Not, okay. many, not many people roll over houses in yeah. one or two years. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, Oh, I'm thinking about comparables when you compare. Oh, yeah, so no, no, I've, no, I've got that. Disregard what I said, guys. <laughs> uh, you get back in business probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it is, yeah, only owning a home for two, two years is pretty recent, for sure. Yeah. Well, what, the whole point is that we grilled the sales agent that on their listing, which is absolute rubbish. Anyone that, like, and this is the hardest part about my role, right, is people see a, an asking price and they, oh, well, your appraisers are two point one five million dollars. Mm-hmm. The asking price is one point six five plus. Yeah, and it's just a positioning tool. And the agent was rubbish. If they are listening to this, I don't know your name, but get out of the industry. You're the reason why people don't like real estate agents because the property actually sold for yeah, said one point eight three million dollars two years earlier. They're asking one point six five. It doesn't make any sense because yeah. the owner's not going to take anything less. Because that market has grown too, mm-hmm. they're not taking anything less than what they paid for it. Plus, their two their, years ago, because they're emotionally attached to that price. Yeah. yeah. Plus, the stamp duty and legal fees on a one point eight three million dollar purchase yeah. is, you know, you're looking at one hundred fifty grand. So, my my whole point is like, um, it was all BS. But the client that we're working with, they saw our figure and they were like, oh wow, like. I don't know how you got to that figure because they're only asking 1.65. And then when you break it down, you go, well, here's all the comparables. Anyway, so we were so, able to save them 50 grand, which is good. So what did you buy for? 2.1. Okay. Um, and that was in a multi-offer scenario against another buyer's agent. It's a really good thing. Like when you think about how much money people spend for a buyer's agency, uh, not only do people allow get professionals to find the right property to purchase but also they can get the deal for cheaper as well and that's what you're paying for is like your there's so much value in it but i think people just struggle with the buyer's agency fee is like well i could just go away and buy this thing myself yeah you could but are you going to be able to find the right one and are you also going to be able to get it under the price that they're asking for which actually saves you money right like 50 grand, like saving 50 grand, I know, I'm sure the fee is less than 50 grand. They've made money by using you guys. It's kind of silly not to use by that. Yeah, and um, a big part is the people, they don't see the value until it gets in that pressure cooker environment where mm. they start second-guessing themselves. Oh, are we paying too much? Are we not paying too much? Is, yeah. What's the agent saying? We really want this property. We're emotionally invested. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh we'll, we'll, we'll just... Oh, it's ours if we pay another 20 grand. Yeah. They put another 20 grand. What's another 20 grand on two mil? It's like, but hang on a second. It's 20 grand. Yeah. I'll save you a lot more than than 20 grand. So, and then it (laughs) goes further into that. So, um, so getting back to on topic once again, absolutely. (laughs) Um, is it doing, doing those checks and, and just, looking at the comparable evidence they're putting forward and like they're they're there to work with you right so asking those questions um up front 
and you know, you're the you're the shop caller in, in every um, transaction from a, with a buyer's agent. I, that's how I see it anyway. So it's it's where you see value. You might only see value at as an example two million dollar. I, I see value at two million bucks. You're like, nah, Sam, I, I'm putting no more than one point eight million dollars. Let's have, let's have a go, and you, you'll learn along the way. And yeah. after a few misses, that people start to build that confidence in obviously myself, yeah, and the team, yeah. Um, Knowing that you guys are where the market's at, or just a little bit under, not grossly under or grossly over, which is well, historically at the moment, I think my my appraisals are within two percent of um, the average is two percent of the, like the purchase price, so oh, right. um, below what it actually ends up selling for. So we miss out on a lot more than what we buy, but um, you know, from a nationwide basis, uh, that is it's very difficult to do to be that accurate. Um, yeah. all in Australia so that just takes time as I said like I've looked at I think over 10,000 properties you know, mm-hmm. and that's just I mean, you've, got, you've got the eye for it yes so alright so let's make this tangible um, so somebody has got a property from their buyer's agent and they've just checked over and like yep cool this is within my buying criteria it's you know it's something that I think could be good for my property portfolio with where I'm at one thing you're mentioning is looking at the price it has sold for previously to um, what they're asking for now. So that's one thing, right? Now, what else? What else are some of the things that people should be checking off on their due diligence checklist? Yes. So yep. make sure the figures there. That's step two. Step three is just going in and going. Well, um, what is this actual asset, and mm-hmm. where is it positioned? So, so going, positioning location wise. Yeah, location, okay. and then the so we'll start there. I go location, you know, making sure it's not on uh, main road, doesn't have easements. Make sure that all your risk checks, like your fire, your flood, your heritage, um, easements are a part of that check as well. Mm-hmm. Being you know, in proximity to high clearance power lines, um, also making sure that you're not, you know, within that flight path, that noise. So noise is a big thing, right? Yeah. You're constantly going back to owner occupied highways and stuff. Yep. Yeah. Highways. It's kind of common sense, but because there's hundred points to actually check you, you do miss a few um, people do often miss a few and they also because they're not doing it every day they're not aware they don't like, know what they are they're not the common yeah yeah like I can rattle off a few things in our checks which is yeah you know, making sure you're not near those high clearance power lines because there's lending issues and also people generally don't want to be living underneath a, a power line yeah um, the easements to the property well that affects your developability of it because you can't build over easements and then going into even like sloping blocks for properties that have the the road that slopes in down to the house mm-hmm. or when it rains that's going to build up in moisture because water's going down there mm-hmm. and on sloping blocks too because like you've, your house is built on foundations on the land so the land does move yeah um, it's constantly moving I mean you lay a concrete slab and then watch it sink over the last few years yeah um, but Doing those types of checks uh, really help to amplify your return on your investment because it's reducing maintenance costs. So all, all those things. And then going into where that actually property is positioned uh, in that suburb and you know, what's around it. So doing your public housing checks, making sure you don't have you know, that um, high social demographic issues, mm-hmm. uh, being close to schools and, and hospitals and also 
um, the infrastructure that is surrounding your property, like public transport and access to all that is key. Yeah. So just running through your own checklist. Um, and I mean, I've, in our reports anyway, that we do, um, I'm open about it. Like these are the checks that we do. So. Yeah. And sometimes it's, it's, this is why it's worth either having a chat to us or somebody at least before you buy it is like, it might be worth you taking on something um, that some other investors may not like. Maybe it's something that is, you know, not ideal, but you'll take it on because it's got so many other green flags versus like just a couple of one or two red flags. Because any investment is typically there's a risk in anything we do in life, including investments, and it's just like working out what risks are we willing to take on. So. That's, you know, weighing up those things. I wanted to come back to, you mentioned something that I think we should unpack uh, and that is the property being near power lines can have lending issues. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Tell me about that. Yeah, tell us all about that. It's an uncommon one. And um, you just as, as, the, as a valuer, you, you grow up and you're basically a risk assessor for the bank. So that's the mindset I bring into it that not many people have. Mm, that's um, cool. Which uh, the high clearance power lines, if you're within 50 meters, it has to be flagged as a risk. Um, it's just the, the rules and regulations around what we're meant to do. Why, why is that a risk? Well, if something were to happen to the power lines and yeah, you're it within could damage the property, it could yeah. damage the property, so uh -huh. it increases the risk. The banks want to know that. Yeah. Um, I've never heard of it personally, but mm -hmm. um, obviously the. the the rules are there for us to tick boxes yeah. for a reason. Yeah. Um, also, the, I mean, the desirability generally within that it's only fifty meters, so it's not like you can be near a power line and you can see it. But if you're, you know, you're further than fifty meters away from your boundary, then it doesn't affect it at all. Sam's looking out of the out of the window here for power lines. Right. <laughs> well, that that was it was drilled into us, you know. It was yeah. like always look up, look around, uh, and um, I've also you know, negotiated on properties, got down to it, and. Um, then it, the power lines are there, right? And you're like, oh, I've got to pull out because yeah. it's not in the, the client's best interest. Um, but, and it, it should have been flagged earlier, don't get me wrong, that was my mistake. But the um, the whole reason around that, for, I'm digressing, is that the power lines in different locations, uh, they do look differently. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so when you say it's got lending issues, obviously for the bank it's a bit more of a risk. Does that mean it could be that because it's within that 50 metres um, to the dwelling, those power lines, that it could be possible, and I'm not like, I'm making this up completely so I could be wrong, is it maybe possible that finance doesn't get approved because of this yeah. or, okay. So you don't have to have, they only do an 80% loan-to-value ratio. So what yeah. that means is that, you're going in and you only have a 10% deposit, yeah. you don't have the ability to, to transact on that property. Yeah. So you're out. And because the risk is too high for the banks. In, in, if you've got a low LVR, there's not enough equity in the property to fix some sort of damage if it was to happen with the power line. Mm, yeah, but if you you can't buy the property anyway. If you've only got 100 yeah. grand cash, yeah, yeah. Um, as an example, yeah, um, you, you can't transact on it. But um, what I look further into it, why I don't want to be there, is because of those risks, restrictions that are there from the bank, it, it hinders your resellability in the future. Mm -hmm. So it's just like. And hinders you pulling out equity, I guess, probably. Uh, well, you still pull out equity 80% loan to value yeah, ratio yeah, anyway. That's true. Yeah. Um, like, so 
Yeah, that's like there's 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 a key risk that I'm going to look at. Also, for renovation risks, if if properties aren't suitable for rent as is, then um, the valuer can go in there and flag that there's a lot of damages that's there, mm. and the bank then know, all right, well we've got to uh, only lend up to a certain percentage on this value, which you know, it tends to always be that eighty percent. They want to see at least a twenty percent buffer mm-hmm. uh, because. You can't generate income out of it and repairs need to be taken into account. So it's a slightly higher risk from their point of view. Um, a key way around that is actually getting quotes, uh, formal quotes done up and you put that forward with your finance application. Mm-hmm. So the, the value is going, oh, well, I'll do this on an as-if complete basis. So you can get the lending, which is here's all the quotes. Um, the property is being purchased for a million bucks. It needs $100,000 worth of work. So um, here's the quotes. To justify that, as if complete, once these works are done, what's this probably going to be worth? Mm-hmm. And it's the value to go in and go, contract price is a million, quotes to fixes of 100 grand. Yeah, you'd at least assume that it's a $1.1 million purchase. Um, often that's a detracting factor for, for buyers. So they actually, sometimes you get valuations that might come in at 1.15, 1.2, if sales can support it. But values are risk, risk averse, so they'll always take the lower end because. Um, it's just that conservative approach that uh, for them, that, yeah. why, why take the higher risk of giving these people an extra 100 grand equity when they don't yeah. have to? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, so much in that. Um, <laughs> we could just call this episode, Why You Should or Should Not Buy a New Power Line. <laughs> yeah. oh, there's, there's a multitude of factors, and that, that's that's the whole a big reason why we're doing what we're doing is that. Um, you go in, you, you build this trust in this this, this business that is uh, giving you, you know, good advice. Yeah, um, finding it probably for you. Yeah, but also I there's the, there is the rise of the buyer's agent in, in Australia and it's concerning the lack of experience that they have. And that's not... Absolutely. I, can't, I don't... So, Honestly, I'm not perfect either. What, 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 I, what I get scared... Well, I mean, but you've been doing it before the rise of the buyer's agents came up and if you looked at tens of thousands of deals... Um, but what worries me is like when I see something on YouTube uh, or, you know, an ad on like become a buyer's agent, become your own buyer's agent, do this course for like, I don't know how much it is, 10, nine, 15, nine grand, nine yeah. grand, yeah. And then everybody can become a buyer's agent and make, you know, they can make decent money, right? Like you know, 10 to 15 grand a pop. Um, and, you know, they do maybe, they could just do six of them a year <laughs> and make an income where, you don't want somebody who's buying six properties a year and has no experience to buy you or find a property for you because you're like, damn, like you, you're a baby, you're green, and yeah, and that's why you need to have. I mean, like chat to us. We can recommend buyers agents for you guys, and then we can also verify their work. Like it's a double whammy. It's like just de-risking your investment and. Coming back on track, what what else are we? What else is on the due diligence checklist here? <laughs> yeah, um, well, just just running through it, asking. Those so that we've gone through, we've gone through checking your buying criteria. So it's going to set you up for your goals with your property strategy and your portfolio, and then you've got location. Yep, and then asset type, and then asset type. Okay, yeah, so the, we haven't touched on that, that one. So it's yeah, your making your strategy, and then also checking the numbers, making mm-hmm. sure the numbers actually stack up mm-hmm. um, because. Some people might say it's 
going to rent for a thousand bucks a week, and it might actually be renting for eight hundred bucks a week. That's a that's a big difference. Yeah, so it's you want a huge difference, right? And you won't know until you actually settle on the property and put a tenant in there, because you can get a rental appraisal, but it's they're not always accurate, right? <laughs> yeah, it's different agents inflate them. Um, yeah, but the so so that's another good thing to mention is that an agent that is selling the property may do a rental appraisal on the property to make the make the property look more attractive. Yeah, classic one is like, classic. oh yeah, it's appraised at oh, this. Twelve hundred bucks a week, um, or yeah. like like nine hundred to fourteen hundred bucks a week. <laughs> yeah, and then I'm like, oh, discrepancy there. Where did you get those figures from? They're like, oh, we just did the price finder rental assessment. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, it's so terrible. it's a computer generated rental assessment that you're putting to people. Reality was, it was probably sitting more around nine hundred bucks a week. Yeah, but if you're going in your mind, say, oh, this is going to rent for fourteen hundred, twelve hundred, or whatever. It's best to be conservative as an investor as well, isn't it? Yeah, but yeah. it's just. I can't hit on it enough. It's your money. Do do the work. You know? And yes, you're paying people to do that work for you, but they're doing all the heavy lifting. They're running around. It's for you to sit back and go, yeah, actually, that's a good property. Mm. And, and, all, and the numbers stack up and then the location is good. Mm. And then the final aspect is the asset, the, the improvements. So do the improvements light you up in what your strategy was? Like, are you looking for a pool or not? Are you looking for a low set or a two-story? Mm-hmm. You know, do you, um, the floor plan is really key as well. And looking at that from the residential point of view, from the commercial, it's looking at, well, the, the, the due diligence on the business as well. There's so many different aspects to it. I don't want to sort of, there's commercial and there's resi. Yeah, we'll, we'll sticking with resi for now. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get into commercial later in the um, podcast because there's a lot of really key information around that too. But so gen- much good stuff we're going to chat about in commercial. Generally, people start on the residential side because it's familiar. So. Um, enjoy this journey with us before we continue today's pod i want to ask you a few questions what is your property investment goal what type of properties do you want to own how many what size valuation property portfolio do you want to own and how much net income do you want to be earning essentially what's your magic number in passive income that you want to be earning and do you know how to get there and if you do do you know how to get there in the least time possible with the least amount of risk Sam and I have been helping people invest in property and build property portfolios for years. People who are now replacing their income through property and we want to help you do the same. Right now for a limited time, we are offering free property coaching to our listeners. We won't be able to do this forever, of course, so head to propertypals.au forward slash coaching. That's propertypals.au forward slash coaching to see how we can help you achieve your investment property goals. Link will be in the description too. Yeah, they're, they're sort of your, your key checks. So um, the floor plan, going back to that one, that's really key. So a lot of people don't really understand the importance of a good floor plan. You light me up here. <laughs> Love a good floor plan. <laughs> well, it, it, I just like looking through the listings and be like, oh, like what can we do to add value here? It's just really cool. Yeah, I like that too. But also I'm looking at it from owner-occupiers, right? Like, um, And this is why a good buyer's agent, you know, you, you've, you've heard a lot of feedback from from buyers and that they like that properties and mm. um, you see there and go well some people like the master bedroom at the front some people like it at the back you know it's just sort of weighing that up like if you find a house that doesn't have an ensuite but it's got four bedrooms and two bathrooms mm-hmm. that's a massive attraction like um, not many people want to live like master bedroom without an ensuite mm. so there's simple things like that but then so entitled a good uh, good good property that we're actually negotiating on at the moment hopefully we get it um, the laundry was next to the 
in my own bedroom and I was just like, it was a th- three bed, one bath. And I was like, ooh, this is a nice, easy smash that wall through, convert yeah. it into an ensuite. Yeah. And, yeah. Things like that start yeah. sort of like lighting yeah. you up, yeah. asking the right questions. But um, I mean, location does 8% of the heavy lifting. So that's a. Can you say 80%? Yeah. Okay. That's a really good thing to know. Yeah. So location is 80, 80% and the rest at equals up to 20 so good that's nice, Jared. Well done. The, the, so the biggest part of the property, and, and that's like obviously what I do as well, is just making sure that if you are buying for that property, you know whether it is owner occupier or investment, you want to make sure that you're in a good location that is showing good growth prospects. Mm-hmm. Um, and each suburb, it, it could be different. The neighbouring suburb could be different to the one you're buying into. So um, having that all the access to the data and overlooking it um, is just a it's an invaluable resource because it's going to amplify your your returns over the long term if you get it in that sweet spot. Here's a good question for you. With all the businesses and the companies you work for in coaching buyers agents and being a buyers agent yourself, is there an average amount of properties that an investor will be presented that has engaged with a buyers agent that they look at before they purchase? Like, is there like mm. is there like two to three, mm. two to five, one? Depends. It's obviously going to depend on how good the buyer's agency is and how good they are finding deals. But yeah, what what is it? What does it look like? Hardest thing for a buyer's agent is actually pairing up what the client's perception of what they want to what's actually out there. Oh, what's available. Oh, okay. So so you say perception what they want? Yeah, because people have in this mind like oh, when you were buying uh, your first investment property. Yeah. What did you have in mind? Get rich as fuck. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, I had said I wanted to get like a, a bit of land um, with a house on it that could have good capital growth. And what the house looked like? I don't care. Cool. Yeah. You didn't care if it was a three bedroom, one bathroom? No. Did you, uh, you wanted minimum land size or anything? Uh, I was hoping like more than 400 meters squared. Cool. Um, but yeah, I just didn't. I was like, I was investing for numbers. I wasn't investing like, oh, this makes me feel really good. Maybe one day, if shit hits the fan, I can move into this property. I don't care about that. <laughs> cool. So everyone's got an opinion, right? So yeah, that's... I'm a bit of an anomaly in that because I'm a weirdo. No, no, no that, that, you're the perfect client where you, you trust the process, and um, it's just putting the right properties in front of you to say yes. So if you so what? A, so that's a good thing to. What do most people have? I mean, a lot of people are, it's their first property and they're like, oh, maybe they haven't invested much money before and they're like, they're a bit fearful and they're a bit like, oh, skeptical. What are some of their things that they do want that we should talk about to for people to maybe like not hold on to or be so attached to? Yes, good point. So, what are those? The common ones. <laughs> common ones that people want everything, right? Like, <laughs> they, there's certain buyers like, I want. A development site that also I can put a granny flat on that I can get good cash flow and good capital growth. Wow. And it's like, okay, you, you're looking for this unicorn and then they're like, and I want renovation potential. <laughs> and this like, uh, something like that doesn't, doesn't exist. Yeah, right? it's like, yeah. Uh, and if it does, great. But what I'm saying, the location is 80% of the heavy lifting. There's yeah. no point in getting a development site that you're not going to develop in the future anyway, just so you can go around and talk to people, oh, I can develop it. Yeah. I'd be like, well, what's the best asset for you know, capital growth? Let's find that and then try and stack on the amplification of like, 
the bonuses. The, yeah, the bonuses. So it's like, well, this is a sound investment that actually you can just buy and hold and do nothing with. And that's, you know, it's simple, easy investing. A lot of people, um, they think that they can go and do the renovations and do all that, be the developer. But when you start breaking down the fees involved, they start to get a bit scared mm. and go, oh, well, actually, maybe that, that's not me. But mm. I've just read all these books and I'm all motivated. And it's good to try and amplify your, um, like reduce your risk by having those op- options like granny flat development. Um, but the thing that I find is that often on these sites that people are searching for from the investment side of things is the granny flat capabilities, yes, it's there, but it actually detracts from the value of the main dwelling if you're going to put the granny flat there. Yes. So it's not That's such a good point. Yeah, and I, I spent a lot of time just talking to people about this and going, well, if we can find a corner site that you can put the granny flat on, fantastic. You know, um, but that's not like you shouldn't be just investing so you can get a granny flat because mm. I go further into it and say, well, instead of spending $200,000 on a granny flat, let's use that as a deposit for another house. And then you mm-hmm. have two assets growing in a similar mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. You've got the option for it. And then that's the same as the developability. People go down this path. There's just so much BS out there where it's yeah. like you can be a developer. Like I've bought sites that you can put one into three lot developments, one into two lot developments on that day, but it's in a, in a location that doesn't support it. People aren't looking for a 300 square meter block of land. I have seen examples of this where people have bought a property actually in Tugan, and this is like four years ago, um, on the Gold Coast, and I'd seen that they bought this thing and they were turning it into a, a three three townhouse thing. Mm. And they had this plan uh, and rented images, and they couldn't sell. They couldn't sell any of them because nobody wanted those in that area. Mm. It just wasn't where the market was at. And this is the funny thing: is like people may listen to a podcast or a YouTube video or find a strategy somewhere and they just go away and elaborate in their mind and they fantasize about it and then realize that in the real world, does that actually exist and is the market there, is the money there to want it? Like Versus the opposite way around is if you find the demand and then you can give the supply, you're going to win in every situation in property and business and all that sort of stuff versus going like, I'm going to build something it's so good that people will come to it. Like if you build it, they won't come. Yeah, and then it's the opposite. The more you learn about it, like obviously we're big proponents of just trying to like have more time. So that's obviously our niche. I'm not a big on the developing side because yeah, you can manufacture hundreds of thousands of dollars into the deal, mm. but that comes with a lot of time and effort and and money too. You're going to see these consultants do all this work, and it can get to a stage too where you. You go and spend your fifty thousand dollars on professional fees to come to realization that it's actually not worth doing it. Exactly. I've got a really small example, and this was based on the. This is from the first property that I bought with the buyer's agent, and they're like, "Yep, you can buy this property, and um, there's already a four-two, and there was room for a shed, and they had already seen that other properties in the area that had a shed that was similar to this one." were renting out for more and I was like okay cool like they're like yeah you could just do a value add and they just I think that I may have wanted a value add or something like that I can't remember but maybe they're just selling it as a, as a value add in there and I was like yeah cool well um, I'll look into that after I purchase it let's just buy it looked into it after I purchased it not really attached to wanting to put in a shed because um, it would increase rent like 20 to 
$30 a week, maybe $40 a week. And then I looked at the price of the shed and I was like, how many years is it going to take me to get my ROI back from building this shed? Say the shed cost me 10 grand or whatever it is. Like if you do the math, it's like, well, I still even own the property at that, and at that point in time and it may actually cost me maybe a cost because I've been sold into like, oh, there's a value add and that's what we should do to just get a better ROI from our investment when you've got to do the math on these guys. Yeah, you get depreciation out of it too. Yeah. It's just, it wasn't worth it though, right? It's just, yeah, that's, that's to each their own. Um, and then also if you put a shed in there when you go to sell it, some people might want to have a pool there instead. Like, <laughs> You can get a little bit lost in it all mm. in trying to, you know, um, outperform the market. But I'm just more of a keep it simple, mm. uh, like the KISS strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the KISS strategy. And then it's, um, you know, focusing on that location growth is, is massive. And then um, just really the owner-occupier appeal for residential is so key. Mm. Disco got a light show going on back here. Battery's dying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so... All right, so location being 80%, absolutely, and then you're going to look at the asset. Yeah, I so, think it's, so flex your questions on the location. Where, like, why? Why is this location? What's yeah. pointing you there? Who are you talking to? What's the research around that? Because yeah. I can tell you, you can come to me as a, as a buyer's agent and I could have just a, a preconceived idea, like say Gold Coast. Um, mm-hmm. I like Chevron Island. Why? Built out. Yeah, fantastic. But mm-hmm. You've got to have a data source to, to give you that confidence. What's the mm. supply levels there in the future coming forward? What's the demand? Yep. You know, what's the median house price? What's the unit price? What's the yield? What's the vacancy rates? There's the oh, man. Oh. So these <laughs> are the things that you should be checking through the DD as well. It's like what's the supply? What's the demand? Vacancy rates, median house price. You should be looking at those when you're looking at the location. Um, in I mean, it also... Typically, it sounds like that's going to be done when you engage a buyer's agent. They're going to have a location or one or two locations already and they're just going to be presenting deals from those locations. So I guess bulk of that DD is going to be done in one sort of sitting based on one location versus, you know, if, if you've got a buyer, I don't know, this is a question for you. You've got a buyer's agent that comes to you and presents five deals from five different locations. Are you worried? Because you're like, oh, this person's, like, no, they're green. Oh, yeah. Well, you, you, I don't know, to each their own, right? I usually present one at a time because then people can get caught up in, um, if you've got two pairings, yeah, two assets, two yeah. deals. And going back to your initial question of like, how many properties do you present before people say yes? Um, but very rarely do people say yes in the first one, even if like, like I see great purchases right mm. and i put it in front of people and i'm like this is a ripper <laughs> jump on but it, they're like they're hesitant because like oh look it, it can't it makes sense but like it's the first one you presented we don't want to jump on the first one uh-huh. and then you're like Got okay it. cool so that's the education process that we have to go through and like i'm not pushy anyway i'm like look it's not for you that's fine this is an opportunity it's great ticks all your boxes just pass it to jared <laughs> yeah <laughs> and that's why i'm like it's not for you don't worry about it um, you're just in your journey and, and some people might be this the buyer profiles right there's buyers that are just like I want it now and I've been looking at all these properties and you know I want you to basically hold my hand and say this is a good buy and mm-hmm. most of the time the ones they're giving me are rubbish so I'm glad they came and asked for help yeah um, but they're the ones that can be they get stuck in like you present a really good property and they go oh actually no um, 
I'm not sure on that one. You're like, why? Like, oh, I just thought first was first or the second one. I want to see more deals. I want to see five deals. And I want to compare them all. I'm like, if I present five deals to you, that's going to take a lot of our research time to actually do that. Mm-hmm. And you're going to pick one. And what if by the time you actually pick that one because you went and ummed and over the last five, yeah. now that's sold. You know, yeah. Now everyone's missed out on that. So yeah. um, that's how we sort of run is, is one at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, if a good one comes up that fits their brief, then obviously we'll, we'll put that forward to them as a maximum of two. Mm-hmm. But generally, um, you'll, they, they'll say no the first one. They'll miss out on all the, all they'll say yes, but they'll miss out on it because they're just like, oh, they're not sure of the process. They don't trust our appraisal figures. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they, they they learn the market, right? And it's like, okay, cool. The market is heated um, to a certain extent. Uh, but yeah, usually like say three to four is this why this standard. podcast is so important. It's <laughs> for people to listen in and go, all right, cool. If a buyer's agent is going to present a deal, you need to know how to do your DD on that deal um, so you cannot miss out on it if it's the right one. Like, yeah. But you can say, like, the big part of what, what we do is just, like, if you if it makes sense and it, and it lights you up, it ticks all your boxes, then go forward with it because you, you need to give that. You don't know what the value of the property is going to land at until you begin in negotiations. Yes, and correct. And that's what, so the way that we handle it is here's a great asset. Here's the possible price. Here's, here's all the numbers. Here's comparables. Like, uh, we're going to, once we get that tick approval from you, we go further into you know, getting more details on, on the property itself. Yeah. But we, there's no point in doing, doing that extra work if you're going to be a no. Yeah, like doing six hours of due diligence research, yeah. if you're just going to straight up know it, it's yeah. not an efficient process for the business. So usually yeah. we spend one to two hours up front and find that. Like, but we've also spent the whole entire... Yeah, it's not know. just one to two hours. It's about your whole IP, intellectual property, on your tens of thousands of deals that you've already looked at, it's not just the one or two hours per deal. Yeah, but it's also like we've we've picked the it's it's one or two hours on the asset itself. So mm-hmm. we spend all the hundreds of thousands of hours getting to the actual location and the the brief. Can I share it? Can I share the um, value story with people? So there was a guy. Um, it's your podcast, mate. Do yeah. <laughs> I think we should explain value here because in value, value, time doesn't equal value. But for most people that have learned from societal conditioning that, you know, per hour rates and stuff like that, it's like, you know, and it's important to understand that when you're hiring somebody, you're not paying them typically per hour. Um, you are paying them per what they know and how much value they have. So there was a guy that, um, was in a restaurant and he was doing portraits and this is like back in the like the 1400s or something like that it was a long long time ago and the there was a woman that walked in the restaurant was like oh can you paint my portrait and um this story is like it's i don't know if it's true or not but it's a very good reflection of value and the guy was like yeah i'll paint your portrait um and did it on a napkin Right, and the napkin, and, and he's just painted this port like wasn't really a painting, it was like a, a drawing of a portrait of the woman. And she's like, Oh wow, this is so lifelike, it's so amazing, like it's so good. Like, and it took him, you know, 20 minutes, 15 minutes. And she said, Oh, how much? How much? And he's like, Oh, that's 300 euro back then, it's like thirty thousand dollars our time or something like that, right? And she's like, Whoa, hang on, this only took you 20 minutes. 
and the guy's name was Picasso. And he said, this didn't take me 20, 20 minutes. This took me decades and decades and decades and decades and decades of learning how to perfect an art and to do it in a short period of time. So that's the perception of value that people don't understand when they come to a buyer's agent. And I want to share that because people are like, well, it only took you one or two hours to, to find this deal. No, 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 no. It's totally different. And I'm just backing up buyer's agents here because I think people should use buyer's agents, but it's the same with everything in life. Yeah, I mean, that's a big, I had a shift too because obviously um, I was trying to do my own plumbing before and then I had that end up getting the plumber out there to fix up all my stuff-ups. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but <laughs> it's different when it's a few hundred dollars of stuff-ups, but like when you're talking you know, hundreds of thousands, often millions of dollars, mm-hmm. um, one small mistake can cost you a lot more than, you know, the fees that that are being charged, and yeah. sometimes they, they buyers agents fees just full disclaimer. They they can range from anywhere between four thousand to a hundred thousand. Yeah, in the Australian property market at the moment, from what I've seen, um, and some people might fall off their chair when they hear a hundred grand. But when you're buying a you know ten million dollar asset, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's cheap. It's cheap to when they could get you the deal for two hundred grand less or three hundred grand less. You're basically saving two hundred grand or a hundred grand by using a buyer's agent. Yeah, but also in that in that time frame too, it's like well, you're dealing with people that they, they might be making you know large sums of money, and yeah. it's like well, if you don't go down that path, then you know, you'll end up either not buying property because you don't have enough time, or you'll just go and throw money at something to get it done because you've got. Other things that you want to do, and you, yeah, and then some people are like, whatever, it's hundred grand. I just I pay what they're asking. Absolutely. For me, I sit there and go, let's let's help you out. And my fees, obviously, definitely not hundred grand um, in our team, but uh, it's something that you know when you get more established in the market, you go into that prestige side of things, and mm. you know you have to put your fees accordingly because um, yeah, you know, the value you the add, the value is, is insane. Yeah. Yeah, um, due diligence checks. So going back to that on your BA, on your buyer's agent, yeah, do, do all those things. Um, but location really is really key. But uh, having a strategy going into it and sticking to it is important and being open-minded to the people that, like you're paying these people a fee, right? Like you should trust them, what they're saying, um, and they have your best interest at heart. They're, they're good people. They've gone into the industry to help you. Mm. And to get to that path of actually talking to these people, or one, come and see us because we can put you in contact with, with the best ones that are out there in the Australian property market. And the reason why is like there's nationwide investment buyers agencies that are, that are great, but there's also the local buyers agents that are amazing. They're the mm-hmm. ones that are like on the ground in Absolutely. that area. Yeah. Really great for owner-occupiers because they know that market like the back of their hands where um, you know most people, they just – we weren't aware of all the data that's available now. And yeah, what in the last sort of six to seven years, it's data has come a long way. Yep, for locations. Yeah, so um, you shouldn't have that issues. Obviously, talk to the best people, but um, it's still good to, like, from our point of view, I always like to over overlook it, mm-hmm. just to have that you know, independent, fresh set of eyes over it to um, give you those questions to go back with. But uh, yeah, if you have any questions, obviously reach out info. Uh, hello at propertypals.au <laughs> and um, yeah by all means like put you in the right people uh, but going back to the check side of things then they're, they're kind of main ones so strategy yeah. location 
asset selection and checking the figures that are being presented to you are you know, in line with um, you know, where the market's telling you. So you're not overpaying or not overestimating what things are you know, going to rent for or, or sell for. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys, thanks for listening. We'll speak to you on the next one. Ciao for now.